The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. But obviously I had prepared a sermon for Caloundra, and so um, I didn't really have enough time to rewrite a sermon last night, so I'm just going to preach the message that I had planned to preach up at Caloundra this morning. And that's okay because we just happen to be going through similar kind of themed series. They're looking at this theme of how Jesus is the King of Kings overall. How he is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that declare and testify to Christ as the Messiah. And so this morning we are going to be opening up, we're still in Matthew. We're going to open up the, book, uh, the chapter 13 of Matthew, looking at a parable that Jesus shares about the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 13, he, he shares several parables, all talking about the kingdom and the nature and characteristics of the kingdom and what it's going to be like. And so this morning, we are going to look at one of these parables, but we're also going to look at how Jesus uses this parable to fulfill the prophecy, what he's actually doing behind the parable. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time in the parable and then a little bit of time seeing what Jesus is ultimately doing as he is the king of kings that is above all. And so if you've got a Bible, feel free to grab it. We are going to be in Matthew 13, uh, starting in verse 24, and it's just going to come up on the screen if you would like to follow along there. It says this in verse 24. And he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And so the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then what we get is these next kind of two verses, which will be a little bit of our focus this morning. We, we, we jump to verse 34, where Jesus says, or Matthew says, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And so here we see this formula that Matthew uses throughout his gospel to show that Jesus is the one who comes to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy. And he says here that Jesus is coming and speaking in parables. And as he does that, he is fulfilling a prophecy back that, was, that was back in the Old Testament, that was testified of the Messiah would come and speak in parables and utter these things hidden since the creation of the world. And sometimes I wish Jesus didn't speak in parables, right? Because they're sometimes hard to understand. Or sometimes I wish that when he did speak in a parable, that he would give us the instructions after, or he would reveal to us what the parable was actually like. And the good news, if you're like that this morning, the disciples were also like that, because they go to Jesus straight after, because they didn't understand either. And so we go on to verse 36, and said, Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Can you explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field? And he answered, the one who sowed good seed is the son of man, the, feed is the, the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned, 
in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of the kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll be thrown into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And I love this because Jesus just gives us the explanation of what the parable means. So why don't we just pray and end right now? No, we're not going to do that. But obviously there's a lot going on there because we get this parable and then Jesus gives us the explanation of the parable and then right in between we get these two verses where Matthew proclaims that Jesus is teaching in this way. He is speaking in parables to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. We know that Jesus didn't just speak in parables in everything because we're in a series right now in Matthew 5-7 to where Jesus speaks clearly, explicitly about the kingdom of God about its nature and characteristics, what those who inherit the kingdom will be like. But parables are one of his favorite ways to illustrate truths, to reveal truths. And Matthew says that he has come as the one prophesied in the Old Testament, the Messiah who would come and preach to his people in parables and reveal these hidden things since the creation of the world. That Jesus is the fulfillment of all prophecy, in the Old Testament, that all the Old Testament points and declares and testifies of Christ. And so what are these things hidden since the foundation of the world? What are these things hidden that Jesus had come to reveal? Well, I think it's, it's good for us to go to this passage that Matthew quoted. It's actually from Psalm 78, verse 2, by a man named Asaph. And I want to read just verses 1 and 2 from Psalm 78. It says this, "'Give ear, O my people, to my teaching.'" Incline your ears to the words of my mouth, and I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. And then what we get for the next 70 verses in Psalm 78 is Asaph recalls the history of Israel, mainly their rebellion against God and God's faithfulness to them. Asaph unpacks God's sovereign acts of redemption in and through the people of Israel and how they could not see what God was doing. And then he pleads to the next generation, do not be like your fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation who didn't have eyes to see what God was doing. Turn and trust in God as king. And so what Matthew is doing as he points to Jesus being the fulfillment of this prophecy is saying just as Asaph came to testify about the kingdom of Israel, Christ has come now to testify about the kingdom of heaven, to show the people what had been hidden, God's sovereign act of redemption in and through his people. How God had been moving from the, from the beginning of time until now to redeem a lost people unto himself. Jesus came to reveal God's redemptive plan, his faithful redemptive plan as the one true king. And so what was this mysterious plan that Jesus came to reveal? Well, we read in, first Col- in Colossians 1, 26-27, it says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great amongst the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's this mysterious plan? Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then Paul goes on to declare, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What is this mysterious plan that Jesus came to reveal? It was the coming of the kingdom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was salvation and redemption in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection. By the blood, as we have had grace lavished upon us, we can now be united in him for eternity. That is what Jesus came to testify of. God's sovereign act of redemption that was set forth before the creation of the world. See, the Old Testament looked forward to the inauguration of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus has come and said, hey, I'm the king of this kingdom. I am here now and he has come and he has shed light on what God is doing and what until now this people had not seen. And that's why he uses parables to reveal these hidden mysteries to a people, but also to hide the truth from others. About 11 verses earlier, Jesus says there'll be people, one of the reasons I speak in parables, is there'll be people that won't be able to hear, that won't be able to see. But blessed are you because your ears have been opened, your eyes have been opened to the gospel. And so Jesus uses these parables in a way that helps us see God's redemptive plan. But Jesus isn't a take two in redemptive history. It's not like Jesus tried in the Old Testament to bring salvation and redemption through Israel and that failed, so now he's doing take two in Jesus. No. God's sovereign act of redemption, his plan has always been the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the hope of glory, the true Messiah. God's plan for redemption has always been and will always be Christ. He is the only way, He is the true way. He is the only door in which we can come to the Father. He is the one that invites us in, that unites us in Him, and that He unites all things in heaven and on earth into His kingdom. So Jesus has come to reveal these truths to us. And the only way we know that is because He has opened our eyes. He has opened our eyes to see these truths in His Word, truths about the kingdom, what is it to be like. And so I want to look at this parable now and ask, what might God be showing us about his kingdom, about God's salvation plan, his redemptive plan that was set forth since the beginning of time? And I love this because the first thing we see is uh, Matthew says that Jesus is going to come and reveal these truths to his people through these parables. And the disciples go, sweet, we didn't understand the parable. Can you explain to us what the parable means? And then Jesus says, yeah, Absolutely. And just explains in the parable. And I love this. Because I wish the disciples went to Jesus more and asked him, hey, what do you mean by that? Like, what are you talking about here? All those gray areas in Christianity that we always fight about. I wish the disciples asked Jesus, what do you mean? So then we would just know. We would have the information. But I think there's a reason that that's not in Scripture. There's a reason that didn't happen. Because Christianity isn't about information. It's not about knowing information, it's about knowing God. And Jesus invites us to come, to seek him, to ask that he might reveal truth to us. He has given us the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift we have ever received. And in that, the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to illuminate scripture to us. As we pray and seek him, he reveals Christ to us in his word. And so Jesus invites us to come, to seek him, to open his word and see if we can find him. And he says, if you seek me, you will find me. 
my wife, um, she just finished a Bible plan. It was to read the Bible in a year, and it worked out to be about four chapters a day. Um, and so sometimes she would read, sometimes she would listen to the audio Bible, and I could not stand the audio Bible. Not because I've got nothing against the audio Bible, but because the way that this kind of reading plan worked out is it would read one verse from the Old Testament kind of uh, narrative or, or prophets, and it would read uh, one chapter, I mean, and then one chapter from either Psalms or Proverbs, and then it would read one chapter from the Gospels, and then it would read one chapter from the Epistles. But when the audio Bible played, it just kind of just played through these things. And so it was just this mumbled up story that I just could not get my head around. At, at one moment, it was talking about Saul, this king who would go into battle, who ended up falling on his sword and dying. And then next minute, there's this guy named Solomon who's talking and whining about having too much money and too many wives. And then next minute, there's some dude up a tree. And then next minute, Saul's back in the picture, but he's not dead now. He's just blind on a road to Damascus. And so it was just so confusing. Like, I had no idea. If you're confused right now, yeah, absolutely. I had no idea how she did it. I can barely follow along one verse at a time, let alone four different stories. But what was cool is she got to see this overarching arc of the Bible, how it all spoke about Jesus. I encourage you, if you have never done a Bible reading plan, don't do that one, but I will find you one. But sometimes we come to the, the Bible, we come to God's Word, and we just don't know where to begin. Like, we've got no idea where to begin. Or maybe we're reading it, and we've just got no idea what it's actually saying. And I want to encourage you, and I'm going to say this over and over again, and hopefully everyone that gets up here will say this. When you open the Bible, spend some time praying that God might reveal himself to you, that the God of the Word might speak to you through it. Ask him to open your eyes to see what the scripture says because it is alive and active. And also as a church, we cannot be afraid to go, hey, I don't understand. Like sometimes I think we're in this false sense of insecurity that says we need to pretend that we know everything about the Bible, that we need to know all it means. And I want to tell you that's not true. You don't need to know everything the Bible says. I don't know everything it says. Your pastor doesn't know everything it says. Nobody does. But God invites us to come to him, to ask him that he might reveal these truths to us. Also, talk to somebody. Ask somebody. Hey, I'm having trouble reading the Bible. I just don't understand what it's saying. Talk to your pastor. We would love to help you get started. But God's desire is that he would give us revelation through his word. That as we open his word, we would see Christ. That we would see God's redemptive acts as he seeks to save a lost people. And then after the disciples ask, Jesus gives us this interpretation. He says, the Son of God, which ends up being Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, he is the good sower who sows good seed into this field. And good seed are the children of the kingdom. And then while men were sleeping, I don't say who these men were, but while the men were sleeping, the devil came and sowed bad seed, which are children of the enemy. People that the devil seeks to use for evil. And the servants kind of wake up and they go, hey, what has happened here? Jesus, I thought you sowed good soil. I thought you sowed good seed and there is weeds. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. The enemy's done that. And the servants say, well, let's, let's go. Let's take all the evil out of the field. And Jesus says, no. Let them both grow together, the good and the bad. And at the end of the age, I will send my angels, who are the harvesters, to separate them, to bind the weeds, the evil ones, that they might be burnt, 
and to gather the children of the kingdom and to bring them into his kingdom. It says, into my barn, that they might shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And it seems like the main point of this parable, it seems like it's pretty simple to see that firstly, that God is sovereign overall. From beginning to end in this parable, God knew exactly what was going on. He knew that the enemy would come and sow bad seed. The servants come and go, hey, what happened? He said, yeah, that was, that was the devil. He did that. He knew that they weren't to be pulled out straight away because they'd do more harm to the good than the bad. So they were to wait. And then he knows at the end of the age, there will be a judgment when the weeds and the wheat will finally be separated. God is sovereign overall. Sometimes when we don't know what is going on, we need to come back to the one who does, the one who sees all, that knows all. In a time of confusion, like this morning when we prayed for the Follies, we don't know what happened, what God's doing in that, but we do know that he is sovereign overall. And he is a good God. He is a good farmer. And so we trust him. We trust that he knows best that we don't. Now, the other thing we see in this parable is there are going to be two different types of people in this world. There's going to be children of the kingdom, which are those who have believed in the gospel, who've trusted in God, who placed their faith in him. And then they're going to be children of the enemy who haven't trusted in the Bible, haven't trusted in the gospel, haven't trusted in God as their savior, and that God, the devil is using for evil. And we might say, yeah, that we can see that. We look around the world, of course. There is good and there is bad people. But what's interesting, though, as we read this parable, this weed that Jesus is talking about in the parable is actually a weed called Darnell. And the thing about Darnell is it looked exactly like wheat. There's a picture of it up there. It was virtually indistinguishable from the wheat. It was also known by some as a false wheat. Because looking at it without a trained eye, you would have no idea which is the real and which is the fake. And so what Jesus is saying through this parable is there will be people in this world, there will be people in this church who look like Christians, who act like Christians, who sound like Christians. They will even read their Bible. They might even come to church often and pray. They might even profess to know Jesus, but are not real Christians, haven't believed the gospel, are not children of the kingdom. They'll be counterfeit Christians. Jesus said that is going to be the characteristic of this kingdom. Here and now, there will be both real wheat, real Christians, and then fake Christians, counterfeit Christians who look like us, sound like us. And the thing is, we have no idea who is who. But it's not our job to know. It's God's job. See, the servants, they come to Jesus and say, hey, what's happening here? Why is there good and bad in your kingdom? Why is there bad weeds in your field? And Jesus says, the enemy has done this. And they say, well, let's rip them out. And that sounds like a good plan, right? Like, why would we not want to eradicate the evil from this world, or at least eradicate the evil from the church? Take out all the bad people and the false preachers. But Jesus says, no. Let them grow together, lest you tear out the good with the bad. As we look around the world, we might know, oh, that, they're, they're weeds, we might think we, we can blatantly see who are the weeds in this world. And we just want to tear them out. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's not your job to tear out the weeds. It's not your job to focus on who are the weeds. 
Because we have no idea who are true Christians and who are fake Christians. We have no idea who are the people of the kingdom and the people of the enemy. Because we don't see the hearts of man. But God does. We know that God invites us into his kingdom by putting our faith and trust in Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross and the fact that he has risen from the grave and defeated sin. And now we are covered by his blood, that we are given his righteousness. We've been united to him. I know that is how you become a Christian. And I have no idea who here has actually done that. My prayer and my hope that it is every single one of you. But I don't know. Because I cannot see your heart. But God knows. And so our job as Christians is not trying to sniff out the sinners or point out the pretenders. That's not our job. Our job is to focus on being good seeds planted in Christ, flourishing, bearing much fruit, proclaiming the truth of the gospel to a world that is lost and confused in hopes that God might open the eyes of the blind, that he might save some, call them into himself. He is the good judge, the merciful judge. Not you and not I. And so we need to trust in him. How many of us sitting in this room have asked this question before? Why does God allow evil? Or more specific, why does God allow evil people to exist? And whilst I think we will never fully know the answer to that, God has revealed some things to us in Scripture. We know that he is sovereign over all. He sees all and knows all. And you and I can barely see what is in front of our face. We know that God is over all, that he uses all things for his good and his glory. He has a purpose and a plan for all people and all things. And what I find interesting as I read this parable, have we ever considered that God allows evil people to exist in this world because he desires that you and I exist? Have you ever considered that God allows evil people to exist in this world because he desires that you and I would exist? See, we were evil, disobedient to God, rebellious against God. And when we deserve to be ripped out, he, we were met with grace and compassion and mercy. In fact, God drew close to us and drawed us in. In a, in a field full of weeds, you and I were we, in a field full of weed, you and I were weeds. And God comes to us. He opens our eyes and our ears to respond to the good news of the gospel. And he saves us. I'm so glad God did not rip out all the evil people because I would not be here. Half of us, most of us, all of us would not be here. But we have a God that has taken us from death to life. That has moved towards us and not away from us. Because his desire is that none shall perish. And that all should come to know him. And while there will be a judgment at the end of the day, where he will separate the weeds from the wheat, I am so glad that he is the judge and not me. I am so glad that he is a judge and not my wife. I am so glad that he is a judge and not my neighbor. I am so glad that he is a judge and not anyone else that's interacted with me because he is a good and merciful judge. And only he knows the heart of man. So are there hypocrites in the church? Yeah, absolutely, I'm one of them. Are there counterfeit Christians in the church? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus says there are. 
But are there real, true Christians that love Jesus? Yes, absolutely. And our job as a church is to focus on how we might continue to grow as children of the kingdom, as good seeds being planted by God into this world that is dark and decaying, and how we might continue to live as children of light, to preach the good news of the gospel to those who don't know him, to shine the light of Christ, to be his hands and feet in this world, pointing people back, asking people to come and to trust in Jesus, the good king. That is our job as Christians. We don't turn a blind eye to sin. When we see heresy, we call it out. There is church discipline, of course, but our job is not to go around focusing on the weeds. It's to focus on Christ and how we might endure in him as good seeds that he has planted. And we read about how the enemy came. He came when these men were asleep. And it kind of reminds me of the story of the Trojan horse, uh, the mythological story of the Trojan horse, as the the Greeks tried to get into Troy, and they couldn't get through this war. Ten years they battled to get in. And then one night, Troy opened the gates, and the Greeks were gone. And there was this horse sitting there. And they thought, whew, they've built us a horse. How lovely of them. First, why would they do that? But anyway, that's where the story goes. And so they pull the horse inside. And if you know the story or you've seen the movie, you would know that there was men hidden in the horse. And they infiltrated Troy from the inside out. They got in when the men were asleep, opened the doors, the gates of the kingdom. And then they were plunged, destroyed. Church, the enemy is going to come at us in every angle he can. If he cannot beat us down with hardship, if he cannot allure us by the the satisfaction, the temporary satisfaction of what the world offers us, he is going to come and join us. Work in and amongst us to try and cause division. To ruin us from the inside out. And again, our job is to not focus on who is real and who is fake. Our job is to focus on Christ. Because the more we see Jesus, the more we see the perfect one, the more it becomes obvious who is not. And our job is to trust in him and him alone. But we cannot fall asleep. We cannot grow tired of preaching the good news of the gospel to a world that is confused. We cannot tire of showing people how Jesus is the real and good way to life and life abundant. That he is the only way. That life is better as we follow Jesus, not because it's going to be easier, not because we're going to be more happy, we're going to be more joyful, but because he is good and he is all that we need in this world. And our hope is in him and him alone. We cannot grow tired of preaching the gospel because this world is confused. There are so many conflicting ideas and beliefs out there at the moment. So many people have no idea what to follow. The world is screaming at them from every angle. And as Christians, we need to continue to preach the good news of the gospel both out there and in here. That God might open the eyes of the blind. There might be people with ears to hear what he is saying. They might see his goodness and his grace and respond in faith. And that's why we preach the gospel. And so this parable invites us to a few things. To trust in God to trust in his final victory overall that was prophesied before the world began. 
And it trusts us, it invites us to see Christ in all of Scripture. Because he didn't just come to reveal spiritual truths to us, he came to reveal God to us. John 14, 9 says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If we see Jesus, we see God. Colossians 1.15 says this, He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. As we come to Jesus, we see God. We see a good God. A God that desires to, to know us deeper, that we would go to him to know him. Desires to reveal truths to us. And then I want to finish with this. Because there is another fulfillment that Matthew talks about in chapter 13, and I mentioned it earlier before. But it's not, it's not just a fulfillment about Jesus, it's a fulfillment about us, it's a fulfillment about the audience that would hear Jesus' words. He says this in, in verse 13, as the disciples come and go, hey, why do you speak in parables? And whilst we're seeing, Matthew has said that it was to fulfill the prophecy. Jesus gives this reason. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will hear and not understand. You will see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The truth is there are people out there in the world who are blind to the gospel, who desire to not follow Jesus, to not trust in Jesus as their true king and savior, have turned away, don't want to listen anymore. And Jesus says one day there will be a separation between the children of the kingdom and the children of the enemy. But blessed are we because Christ has opened our eyes. But the only way that we can see is because of his grace. And so we don't walk around as Christians with a superiority complex, thinking we've got the truth. Because it's only by the grace of God that we have our eyes opened, that we could see the good news of the gospel and respond in faith, faith that was a gift from God himself. And so we walk as humble children of the kingdom, obedient, handing our life back to Jesus, asking, how might you use me for your glory? And then I love this because there are people that Jesus says, they hardly hear with their ears. He doesn't say they're deaf. They have closed their eyes, but he doesn't say they are blind. And if they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, I would heal them. 
Church, we don't know whose eyes God is going to open. We don't know whose ears God is going to open. But what we can do is continue to share the good news of the gospel with those around us and pray and pray and fervently pray that God might open the eyes of the blind, that he might rescue our family members, that he might rescue our friends and our colleagues and our neighbors. He might rescue those around us as we preach Jesus, we show them Jesus, we point Jesus to them and pray and pray that God would open their eyes like he opened ours. We don't know who God is going to save, but we know he is able to save. And that salvation belongs to the Lord alone. And he is calling us to be good seeds in this world, his hands, his feet, to shine the bright light of Christ into this dark world, that he might save some weeds and turn them into wheat, that he might take dead people and make them alive again in Christ. And so let's not fall asleep. God has planted us for a purpose and a reason. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in here this morning and you're not a Christian, Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. He desires to reveal himself to you. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. I just want to encourage you, ask God right now to reveal himself to you. Turn to him, trust him, talk to him. Say, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. Open the Bible. See how we might reveal yourself to him through that. And my prayer is that you would see him, not just see him, but see his goodness and his love for you. And if you are in here, a Christian here this morning, I pray that we are humbled again with the fact that we can only see. We are only brought into the kingdom because of the grace and mercy of God, that he graciously opened our eyes and our ears to respond to his goodness. But now that we are here, we have a hope, a hope in eternity, a hope in Christ, a hope greater than any sin can ever bring upon us. And so we want to trust in Jesus, continue to preach the gospel, continue to search him in his word, to know him in his word, to trust him, because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God. That you are a sovereign God who sees all, who knows all, who is above all. God, I thank you that you are the good and kind and merciful judge and it is not me. God, that you see the heart of man. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to follow you with all our hearts to lean on you for understanding, to come to you for insight and revelation, that we might open your word and see you. Holy Spirit, would you ignite in us a fresh passion for your word. As we go about our weeks, that we might spend time with you in our word, longing to know you more. That we might open the Bible this week and see you no matter where we are, see how every story points and testifies and declares to you. And God, thank you for Christ, your redemption plan from before the world began until now, that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have salvation and redemption, that we are made alive, and that we are united in you. God, we are humbled by the fact that you opened our eyes. 
And I pray that we don't grow weary of the work that you have given us to go into this world and to make disciples, to preach the good news of the gospel, that there is a better way to live, a greater way to live. And his name is Jesus. To show a world how they can put their faith and trust in you and be made alive, have true everlasting life. God, we be a people of your kingdom that have a hope beyond the grave, that have a hope beyond the world and what it can give us, but know that there is an eternity of joy waiting for us at the end of the age. And then I thank you for your judgment, that you will calm, that you will separate the evil from the good, And really the good are only those who have placed their trust in you, that have been clothed in your righteousness. And my prayer is that every single person in this room will not leave without understanding and knowing where they stand with you. Without having made a choice about following and trusting in you as the King of Kings, as their Savior, as their Lord of their life. God, again, I thank you for your mercy towards us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.